This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. If you have your Bibles, let's look at Revelation chapter 2. We're going to move right into uh, the second church. I'm not going to review any of the first uh, church service sermon. It says, to the angel of the church in Smyrna... These are the words of him who is the first and the last. We're talking about Jesus. Who died and came to life. I know, I know your affliction and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say that are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, The devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you your life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Now, one of the things, if you're here uh, new to Mosaic Church, we uh, believe in, in letting the scriptures determine the topic. So typically, I'm not thinking, let me preach a sermon on persecution. Uh, so that's not like a hot topic in, in church uh, sermons uh, nowadays. But it, we're going to be talking about persecution because the scripture is revealing to us the topic. And that's one thing I love about when we preach scripture, it will cover all the bases. You know, if we just do what I want to do, or, and I'm just saying figuratively, that maybe we'll just cover some of the bases. You know, that's the thing that we always challenge with, with our worship music, especially, uh, the, you know, our contemporary worship music. It seems to only cover one of the bases. There's always talk about the love of Christ or uh, the grace. These are great bases to cover. But there's also uh, repentance, what we talked about last week. You know, so it's, it's not something that uh, it seems like our culture naturally would, would, um, would just go to. So today, we are going to be talking about the second church. A few years ago, I was in Kansas City. And I happened to be at a, a, a conference. And when I, I was in a meeting, and when I left the meeting, I was going to the convention center. It was like across the street. And as I walked across the street, there were a group of people who were picketing and uh, proselytizing and witnessing and evangelizing. They were the, uh, the famous Baptist group that go to, uh, to veteran funerals. And so I, I went, as I walked by, one of the persons asked me a question. Are you a real Christian? Are you a real Christian? So if I was going to put a title in our sermon today, I would ask, are you a real Christian? Are you a real Christian? If you are, they asked me what it, they began to ask me certain questions. And immediately I kind of knew what they were getting at and I made the mistake. I asked them back, are you a real Christian? But I made the mistake and I put my hand on their sign. And when I put my hand on the sign, he was resting, you know, it was a stick with a card, you know, not cardboard, but a wooden sign, square sign. 
And he had it there, and I made the mistake and put my hand on his sign. He began to scream at me, curse at me, threaten me to get my blankety-blank hand off of his sign. And then I, and you can see all these ministers are walking around like, what's Mario doing? Like, I don't even know what I'm doing here right now. But I remember saying to him, are you a real Christian by saying these things? I mean, they used every, every curse word you could possibly think of. I've later turned out to, uh, to learn that these, this organization, they try to get you to do stuff like that, like push, push them or, and then they'll sue you. And that's how they fund their ministry is through lawsuits. And I came close to getting a lawsuit by putting my hand on their property. Are you a real Christian? That's what they were asking me. And in a roundabout way, I believe this is what this scripture is talking about in the church in Smyrna. Are you a real Christian? If you are, what's the proof? What's the proof you have to show that you are a real Christian? And they were asking me that question. They believe, you know, do you believe, you know, basically talking about King James uh, version of the Bible and all this. They were giving me a test to see if I was a real Christian. And I believe in this scripture, it's going to ask that question. Are you a real Christian? What proof do you have to show that you are a real Christian? I know it's easy to, I, I've noticed in the news, it's easy to, um, every, I forget her name, but she was a young girl from Europe that uh, she was um, promoting uh, global climate change. And uh, she was skewered for, by a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people who believe in glo- global change are, are skewered because they, they ride, uh, you know, they take jets and they have big cars and, you know, they have big homes that burn lots of fossil fuel and they're hypocrites. And I've seen that, and I don't do that on, um, on social media because I'm wondering if people could say that about me if I truly believe. I remember there was this guy named Jonathan, I won't say his last name, and he said to me, Mario, do you really believe in the life after death? And I said, absolutely. Do you believe that people are going to go to hell if they don't have faith in Christ? I said, I believe that they will send themselves, you know, to that place. Because then what are we... What are we doing here playing disc golf? If eternity is right around the corner, what are we doing playing disc golf? That's a good question, isn't it? In some ways, he was saying, you say you believe it, but you're not living it. So it's easy to point the fingers. It's easy to see, uh, I call it, uh, my friend calls it plankitis. It's always, it's easier to see the sins of others of those hypocrites, because they've got big houses, and in some ways they are, but they could also say to us, if we, they looked at our checkbook, would they be able to say, do you, you really believe in the gospel? This doesn't show that it does. And so the question is, and so that's what that group was challenging me with, are you a real Christian? In Romans chapter 9, you can flip there later, but there was a question that was being asked by Saul, Pre-Paul, are you the children of Abraham? Well, that all depends how you answer that question. Are we the descendants? Are you the descendants of Abraham? There was one group of people that thought that meant the physical lineage of Abraham, the Jews. But then there was this new church that's been developed 
And they say, no, the, the children are Abraham is broader than that. It's a worldwide, broader family. They are, it's based on not on birthright, but on their relationship and faith in God. That's the family of Abraham. And when Paul was Saul, he persecuted those who said, no, it's more than just the lineage of Abraham. It's those who have faith in God. And so he would persecute the church. And then what happened is he had an encounter with Jesus, and now he's part of the church, and now he's being persecuted by the first group, the group that he was a part of. So the question is, basically the same kind of question, are you a Christian? And at one time, Paul would say, you know, no, only the Jews were the true believers, the true followers. And then after his encounter with Jesus, now he's on the other side. And then he was uh, now being attacked by his original group. It was scandalous to believe the second answer, which is it's a larger family. When this book was written in Western Turkey, in Revelation the church in Smyrna most likely had a mixture of people. It was a community that had a mixture of people. They were people who were not just lineage Jews. They were Jews and non-Jews. And in the community was this very big, lively synagogue, a very famous synagogue in Smyrna. And they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They did not believe that Jesus was sent to Israel to announce God's kingdom, to to show, and and he died on the cross and was raised from the dead. They did not believe in that. And so what rubbed the the Jews in Smyrna the wrong way is that the Christians were saying, we are not a new religion. Christians are not a new religion, a brand new one. We're the fulfillment of what the Old Testament Jews, where God designed them to be. We're the fulfillment. And that rubbed them the wrong way, which I totally understand. Now, if you're around me long enough, you know sometimes I can be a little sarcastic, all right? Just a little bit. So a long time ago when we were at other location, there was a church down the street that we wanted to purchase their property, but that church name was Fresh Fire. I really wanted to change our name to Fresher Fire. But uh, I don't think that had been wise. There's a church up the street, a good friend of mine, Pastor Larry. I attended there for many years. They changed their church name to Freedom Church. And we moved here. I was sarcastically joking around. We should name our church More Freedom Church. You know, so I don't know if they would appreciate it, you know. Uh, We bought this property from St. Peter's Church, Anglican Church. So I wanted to name our church St. Peter's, St. John, St. Paul's Church, just to one-up them a little bit. So if you get the feeling where the Jews were feeling, that these Christians were saying, hey, we're just the fulfillment of what you believe. It rubbed them the wrong way. It would probably rub us the wrong way. Similarly, if there was another church that would plant it in Tallahassee and they would call themselves the real Mosaic Church. Because if they're the real Mosaic Church without saying anything, what are they saying? They're saying about us is that we're the 
fake Mosaic church. And so when the Christians in Smyrna were, or were gathering together, it was called a church, it rubbed the Jews and the synagogue the wrong way. And I can get that. So the, again, a question is, who are the real Jews? Who are the real followers of God? Is it the ones that were in that synagogue? Or is it the Smyrna church? The one that follows the Messiah and his kingdom? So the Christians, Jesus did not replace the Jewish religion. Instead, he fulfilled the reason why Israel was created. And he realigned the Israelites back in their rightful place, connected with the kingdom of his father. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, a true Jew is not one that is just outwardly and performs all the rituals, but instead a true Jew who's inwardly and circumcised of the heart by the Spirit, Romans chapter 2. So Jesus' letter to the church in Smyrna, this is what Jesus' letter is all about. Who are you? To the church of Ephesus in the first sermon series of the first uh, church, he told them to repent. Because they had no longer, was Jesus number one in their lives. They were no longer, Jesus was not the number one in their life. They had fallen away. He was no longer their first love. But here in the second church, there's a, there's a different tone. There's a different tone from Jesus as he walks among the church. And he's going to talk about the ministry of imitation. We don't ever talk about, do you have the ministry of imitation? You know, usually do you have the gift of prophecy? Are you, you know, are, do you roll as a an apostle, do you have the gift of healing? Uh, do you have the ministry of, of, you know, on and on? But we never say, do you have the ministry of imitation? But we all do. You know that. We all do. Uh, when Kyle Lake, uh, Kyle, Kyle Lehman was on staff here, he used, he's a great imitator. He can imitate almost everybody in this church. Because we've done that in the church, in the office. I'm just kidding. But he could imitate me. I didn't know that I, I would clap my hands and, and lower my head and laugh like this. I'd laugh like that. And, and Kyle could do a really good imitation. But there's a, he has the gift of imitation. And one time uh, for a costume party, I used to play really lazy. I didn't want to get dressed up for our, you know, for our college ministry. Everybody would dress up, and I was probably running out of time, so I would for like three years straight, I would just put on my soccer uh, coach's pants and my soccer, it's, it's a track suit. And I'd put it on every year and I'd just show up and I'm the soccer coach. And then one year I showed up and Kyle showed up as me dressed in a soccer coach outfit. It was pretty funny. <laughs> and then he, you know, he would do that and laugh and, uh, and he would imitate me. And he was very good at that. As we read in scriptures in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, it says, these are the words of him who is first and last, who died and came to life again. Jesus reminds this church that he is the first and last, who died and came to life. In a roundabout way, this is kind of typical of Middle Eastern way of writing. He was saying, I am the fulfillment of God's plan. He, 
He loved the Father and he walked in obedience, Jesus did, to the, and he walked to his Father's will. And we talked about that in the church of Ephesus. It's to love Jesus, it's to love him and to love his plan and his ways and we follow it. Paul consistently through the New Testament talks about the ministry of invitation. And I'm going to read a lot here in a second, but you can listen to the, the tape to follow the sermon, the, the scriptures. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes to the Corinth church, be imitators of me, just as I am of Christ. He goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, therefore I exhort you, brothers, to be imitators of me. Peter writes in 1 Peter, for this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow his steps. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 5, therefore be imitators of God. Paul writes in Hebrews chapter 6, but, uh, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those through faith and patience inherit the promise. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians, for you yourselves know you ought to imitate us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 6, and he says to the church in Thessalonica, and you become imitators of us of the Lord, for you receive the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And then last, John and 1 John writes, whoever says he abides in me ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And Jesus is going to talk to the church in Smyrna because he knows his sheep. He says, imitate me. I've been faithful to the Father and I have been doing the Father's will. But in order for us as followers of Jesus, and that's how I like to sometimes refer myself as a follower of Jesus. Sometimes when I say I'm a Christian, people are like, well, what does that mean? You know, I remember back in the, the 90s or 80s, actually, I remember uh, Madonna would wear a cross on her ear uh, lobe and, or a cross around her neck. And, and if, if you weren't raised in, the, in America or in the West, you know, people from the rest of the world would think, oh, she must be a Christian. She carries a cross around her neck. And that's why there's this confusion, right? People are like, oh, if that's a Christian, then I don't want to follow Christ. So I try to refer to myself as a follower of Christ on this journey with Jesus. In Revelation, the next verse is, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now, we're not going to talk about financial rich, but I want to tell you that you are financially rich. Uh, 50% of the world's population adults. So I think there's like almost 4 billion adults. Of those 4 billion, 2 billion live on less than $3,700 a year. We're not going to play this game, but if, can I imagine? Are you rich? Stay standard if you're rich. And if you make more than $3,700 a year, stay standing. So you are, we are the top 50%. Now, if you make a combined income and you have assets, home, car, cell phone, add it all up, and it comes out to fifty dollars to $60,000 a year, which 
is probably most of us combined with our, all the assets that we have. We are the top 10% of the world's richest people. That means 90% of the world would trade places with you today. Even with your debt and student loans and all that, they would trade with you. We are blessed. We just don't know it. But this is not exactly what he's talking about. He says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not. The church in Smyrna, which I absolutely love, the church was made up of poor Jews and poor Gentiles. They were the lowest of the lows because tribulation came from both sides. And you're going to see why they're, they're poor. It's really interesting that this church is poor in a very rich city. There was plenty of work to, to have, plenty of money to make, but they were poor. Tribulation came from both sides. First, because they believed Jesus was the Messiah and were faithful to the message of Jesus. They had no other agenda but that of Christ. They had no one else to imitate other than Jesus Christ and his disciples. The second thing is they were rejected because in following Jesus, they were taught to be inclusive and not exclusive. I think that's a wonderful trait of, our, of a church. And we need to ask that ourselves about us as this church. Are we inclusive? One of our, I think, biggest challenges in our church is this. You know, back, you know, there's always this criticism of the church is that the church is one of the most racially divided uh, places on the planet on Sunday mornings. You know, all white church or an all black church or, you know, all Hispanic churches. But uh, things have changed. But I think there is another thing that, without us knowing it, is dividing churches. It's all upper middle class church. You know, so it doesn't matter what color you are, but you have to fit a certain, you know, financial status. And the church of Smyrna was mixed. And Galatians says this, verse chapter 3, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male or female. For all are one in Christ Jesus. The church in Smyrna was living this out. And you belong to Christ. Then you are Abraham's descendants. Then you are Abraham's descendants. Heirs according to the promise. The church in Smyrna was inclusive. They had people from zip code 32301. Anybody have any idea what 01 is? They had people from 32303. We have a lot of 303s here, don't we, in the house? Yeah. <laughs> 303. 32304. 32308. 
Oh, nines, tens, three, two, three, one, two. That's my neighborhood. Anybody with me? All right. <laughs> Mason raised his hand like, no, that's my house, not your house, okay? <laughs> Today in our community, in our churches, the lack of inclusiveness is not just racial, but social and financial. The third reason this church was getting hit by all sides is that because they rejected, they were rejected because they were considered, they were not the real Jews. The Jewish synagogue looked at them as the fake Jews. And the synagogue was slandering them for their non-Jewish practices. There was rumors about the church in Smyrna. You know what kind of rumors they were saying? Those people are crazy. They drink blood and eat flesh. Talking about our the communion. And they mutilate baby boys. We get it from the other side about circumcision. Now, in those days, and we're going to see here in a second, is that the, they lived under Roman rule, but the Jewish synagogue were exempted. They were given an exemption status. They didn't have to worship the idols and the false gods. And the Christian church was falling under that exemption. But the Jews, the synagogues of that church were saying, hey, they don't, they don't follow under us. They're not under us. They don't get that exemption. So they didn't. You know, there are a lot of exemptions our churches get. You know, one is that we don't pay property tax. I have a feeling that one day we will get to that point, that we will no longer be exempt. And quite honestly, and before God, and I'm going on a little rabbit's trail, it's one of the reasons I like this piece of property. And I know it's based on value, but it's also based on footprint. And we have a very little footprint here. We don't have a parking lot to fit everybody. We have to borrow people's parking lots. I was thinking of this situation, that we don't, we don't have to worry about this large footprint, because I believe, seriously, one day we will not, no longer be tax-exempt. And the church was trying to fall under, the, the Christian church was trying to fall under the tax-exempt status, if you will. They weren't really tax-exempt, but exempt from practices. And the Jew was like, hey, they're not us. Kick them out. They don't really believe the way we believe. Those Christians are the ones that don't bake cakes for other, for people who live different lifestyles. They're not us. So they kick him out. And so all these words of slanders were told that they're not in the same category as the Jews, so they were no longer considered Jews, and now they're being vulnerable to a pagan and uh, idolatrous Roman Empire. So if they don't get tax status, they don't get tax breaks, they can't, they can't find a Jewish job, Guess what happens? It hits them in the pocketbook, and they can't get the right job. They get the low job. On the other side, you know, the, the Roman government, they were uh, pagans, if you will, Gentiles. They were not monotheists. They had many gods that you had to worship, and they had Caesar that you had to worship. 
If you ever saw the movie Gladiator, you know, the name Marcus Aurelius, or you're aware of church history, that's who was in charge at the time. And he had no sympathy for the, the Christians because the Christians believe that there's life after death, that we will have to answer before God for our lives. We will continue to live on. And Marcus Aurelius was not a believer that. He was like a stoic, and he believed that it ended. And for you to teach that there's life after death is anti-Caesar, and they were persecuted for it. He hated them for it. Matter of fact, he passed a law saying that anyone who would preach this kind of message would be in exile because he would never want these people, Christians, to influence the community. I mean, you, can you not see that happening today in our culture? You have a Christian teacher or a Christian doctor, and, and if you want to know what's coming, go to, just look at Europe to the Christians. So Caesar looked at, um, Marcus Aurelius looked at Christians as vicious and dangerous because their teaching didn't line up to his teaching. But Jesus says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but in me you are rich. In me you are rich. I'm going to move a little bit quicker here. Some of you have been on mission trips with me. I've been to Nicaragua. I've been to a very poor part of Nicaragua. I've been to incredibly poor Honduras. Honduras is one of the poorest countries in the Western Hemisphere. I remember going to a church in the Andes of Ecuador among the Chechuan indigenous Indians. They're so short, I look like I could play center on a basketball team, all right? I mean, they're little people. So poor. Broke. They were, they were the, the, the lower half of poverty. But every time in every of these locations I mentioned, I remember being in the jungles of the Amazon in this, uh, a town called Misawai, indigenous Indians of the Amazon in, outside of Ecuador. And I've been in this church where there's a tin roof. That was it. Blazing hot. Worshiping Jesus. The, the Quechuan church I was telling you about in Ecuador, their floors, they had a little church, storefront church, had wood floors like ours. And in order for them to preserve the wood, they put turpentine on it. Literally, you walk in and all you smell is this fumes. They didn't smell, but I smelled like, I literally I couldn't believe the, the fumes of turpentine. Dirt poor. But so rich. I, I was humbled. I was, I was humiliated. I felt like I, I didn't even deserve to, to tie their shoes or to wipe their shoes. They didn't even have shoes. The presence of Jesus was so strong in that church, in those churches. And they were poor, but they were rich. And if some of you have been on these trips overseas, you know what I'm talking about. There's no stained glass windows. There's no uh, heat or air conditioning, no PowerPoint. 
nothing. I used to joke around, if I see one more plastic chair, you know, those white plastic chairs you get for, at the Dollar Tree almost. I mean, the, the church in South America, I, I mean, we should have bought stocks. I mean, they all have them. They, it's garbage. You lean back, they'll crack, and they're gone. That's all they can afford. If you ever watch a church in South America, they all have white plastic chairs. They have zero. Poor, but so rich. I literally, when I walked into the Ecuadorian church in, in Quechua church, I didn't even understand what they were saying. I just wept. Sat in the front row and just wept. The presence of God was so rich. And the church in Smyrna was like that. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, it says later on. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. The first thing I believe that's going on here, Jesus says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. In persecution, I'm wondering, I'm just going off script here. He doesn't say pray that you, the, the, the suffering will stop. He says, do not fear. Do not fear. And this is the part of imitating. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? We have to imitate what he does. And if suffering's coming, we don't run from it. We ask God to give us courage. Courage to live out and follow Jesus. We know that it's through the suffering of Christ on the cross that evil was confronted and defeated. It's through the suffering of the saints that the gospel of Christ advanced. Just read some church history. We didn't get here without suffering. People paid the price. I had the... Are you guys going to think I went and saw movies? That's all I did at Springfield. Uh, I don't really get the chance to ever go see a movie. So my old boss asked me, let's go see Midway and Harriet Tubman. That's why I went. So both times at the end of the movie, I just literally wanted to like salute them. Because we didn't get here 2019 without people suffering. Harriet Tubman, I mean, she is a hero. I wanted to call uh, the mint place in D.C., start minting those bills. Should have done it a while ago. I didn't know. But there's no way we could have gotten here without her courage and willing to suffer. Those soldiers that defeated the Japanese, oh, my goodness. And the funny story, the place... I saw the first viewing at 1.15. The place was packed with older folks. And then I joked around because it's a long movie, and, I'm, and I was with my friend, and people were getting up to go to the bathroom. I'm like, hey, look at these old guys have to go to the bathroom. And three-quarters of the way, is like, excuse me, i got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I did. I had to go to the bathroom. Jesus says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. I'm wondering if sometimes we don't vote because we don't want to suffer the way we vote. 
But this is the part of imitating Christ. Jesus says, do not fear. Because these are words of comfort. The second thing he says, to be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. The crown was a wreath that went over a person's head. It wasn't like a, like maybe we think England crown. It was a wreath. And you would give that wreath crown to those who won the race. If you look at old pictures of the Olympic runners, they would get a wreath around their head. And that's what Jesus says. Be faithful, and I will give you a wreath of life. There is a death that we all face, but there's a second death. A second judgment. We we mentioned it. And for those who follow Christ, we won't face that second judgment. So what are we to do? And I'm going to wrap it up. The question is, what does it mean to be a true Christian? Back to the first part. What does it mean to be a true Christian? And and I'm trying to lead us to the, it's imitating Christ. Imitating Christ. You know, I have a bunch of keys and not all keys open that door over there. It has to fit a certain form, right? Just like your key, it has to fit a certain form. And I believe God's calling us to fit into his form by following and imitate him, being stamped like him. So what does it mean to be a true Christian? First thing I think is to imitate Christ's faithfulness to his father and to the father's will. Polycarp, early, early Christian father. He was probably, he was the the pastor of the church in Smyrna. He was the bishop of the church in Smyrna. Polycarp was faithful in imitating his savior, Jesus, throughout his life. And at age 80, Polycarp was tortured and executed for his faith by the Romans. Polycarp was being taken into the arena of execution and Historians say that a voice came out from heaven and says, be strong. And when the citizens of Smyrna heard that there was going to be this execution, they all came into the arena to watch this execution. The proconsul tried to persuade Polycarp to renounce his faith in Jesus Christ. And he told him to say this. Have respect, he said this, have respect for your old age and swear by the fortune of Caesar, repent and say down with the atheist. Atheist was what they would call the Christians. So he looks at the crowd, Polycarp, and he gestures towards them and he says this, 86 years I've served Christ and he never did me wrong. I'm going to ask Bryce to come on up. He never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? That same crowd that came to watch the the fun gathered wood and tied Polycarp to a tree and burned him alive. Why? Why? Because he imitated Christ. Because he imitated Jesus. He followed Jesus with obedience even with suffering. 
as believers, our job is to follow Christ. As, he's, as Bryce gets ready, I want you to... I'm not a prophet. I don't see things. But I will challenge you. I think, our, I think uh, we have to be prepared as a church. I believe persecution is coming, and I'm not saying to, to scare people, but to prepare us. Now, I'm 55, and the chances are, you know, by the time things cycle in and out, it will probably be okay, my age. And probably for many of you, and I'm not trying to scare us, but I'm thinking of uh, Solara thinking of Emma and Ellie thinking of Nora Maya and Kayla and Kai and the kids that are downstairs and um, they're going to have to see us imitate what it means to follow Christ if we don't do it nobody else is going why we have the kids up here half the older kids why we have them up there I want them to imitate what you're doing we need to prepare them I think because what's going to happen if you're a Christian then you're not going to be able to work for the government if you believe you know there's man and woman then you're we don't want you to we can't hire you Oh, you don't believe in many gods. You don't. You believe in God? Oh, it's crazy. So, so we're not going to teach them to how to avoid, but how to endure and be faithful to the end. And we do that by modeling what Jesus did. Amen. Let's just stand. We're going to end our service with this this song. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.